Well, good morning, Church of Nolensville. It's so good to see you here today. Um, you can do better than that, though, right? Good morning. Good morning. There we go. Uh, my name is Mike Harder. I am a teaching pastor here at Brentwood. I pastor Kairos on Tuesday nights. And uh, before that, I pastored um, a church here in town for about 14 years. And I just want to say this. Y'all are superheroes when you come to church with young kids, okay? I have four children. Uh, my life before coming to Brentwood was I would get up early in the morning, kind of, like, kind of like I did today, leave before everybody was awake, and then just wait for everybody to show up. But let me tell you, it is hand-to-hand combat getting kids to church. Like, y'all look like you have it put together right now. Like, you look like you're, like, happy and you're, like, sane. But I know what it was like because it's like that for me every Sunday morning. Like, it is chaos. Like you say things you never thought you'd ever say. Like you're disappointing Jesus. What are you doing? Where are your shoes? Why are you wearing that? Did you change? Like it's chaos. So if you're here with young children, thanks for making it. Like we're glad that you're here. And the baptisms you just saw are the reason why it's important to get your kids to church. It changes their life forever. Like I was like weeping up in the front row. It was so moving. Thank you for providing a place where people can experience Jesus. That's why we're doing this, right? Now, uh, today, you might be wondering why Wade, even though he's here, is not preaching. And this is why he did not know that we were doing this. We did this in the first service. But he took today off from preaching because he just crossed a major milestone in his life. Uh, Under the radar where nobody knew uh, uh, what he was doing. He's been working on his doctorate, and he defended his doctorate this week. So we have Dr. He was going to be like a Dr. Ninja. Like, he didn't want anybody to know. But he is now Dr. Owens, and so we just want to say thank you for being a doctor. He's not the right kind of doctor, though. He can't help you if he's sick, if you're sick. Like, don't come to him for medical advice. It's a doctorate in leadership. So uh, come congratulate him after the service. Uh, he has been working so hard, and he doesn't know what to do with himself now. So um, would you open your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 3? We're continuing our study in the book of Acts. And uh, when Pastor Wade kicked off uh, the, this series, he gave an analogy Uh, between the Mississippi River and the local church. So if you go to the Mississippi today, you see a mighty river. It's a major waterway. It provides thriving and resources to our city, Nashville, and most of North America. Uh, But if you go all the way up to its headwaters at Lake Itasca, you find that it comes from very humble beginnings. It's basically a tiny river, a ditch. And uh, the church is like that. It is a mighty force. There are over a billion people who, pro- who proclaim and profess Christ as Lord and Savior. It has changed the world. Uh, but when it began, most of the people who were the leaders of the early church weren't sure it was going anywhere. They're, they were deeply afraid about what was going to happen to them. And uh, I actually got a chance to go to Lake Itasca when I was in college because I went to college in Minnesota where it's currently... 15 degrees below zero. Joke's on them. Uh, But uh, 
when I um, went to Lake Itasca, I took a picture up there. So I just want to share it with you. This is just maybe 100 yards downstream from the picture that Wade showed. I'm the one who has my arms spread out like an eagle trying to jump to that rock. I have no idea if I ever made it. I'm not sure if I like fell into the river or not, but that was us. And it's fitting because today we're just a little bit further downstream in the story. It's no longer a tiny ditch. It's now become a movement. It's a group of people on mission for Jesus. The church is starting to rise up. And what we're going to be seeing today is that God builds his people and builds his church through disruption. That God always uses disruption to change us. So would you say that word with me, the word disruption? disruption. That's our word for today, disruption. And my invitation to you today is to embrace divine disruption. To embrace divine disruption. That's the tool that God uses to grow you and his church, disruption. And as an Enneagram 3, I hate disruption. I want to achieve. Like, I've got a plan for my life. If there's anybody else in here who has a plan for their life and has, like, it kind of figured out, just say the word amen. amen. The rest of us, like, we're in recovery, aren't we? Like, we're traumatized by our plan. Because God will disrupt us because he loves us. And so you're going to see disruption in this text. So if you would, Acts 3, we're going to start in verse 11. I'm going to read our text and then we'll apply it. It says this. While he was holding on to Peter and John, the he here is a man that Peter and John healed. They were going to the temple as they did every day to preach the gospel, to shepherd the church. A man is lying there. And he asks them for money. And they say, hey, man, we got no money. But what we do have, we will give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. And he does. Everybody freaks out, okay? You see this in our text going forward? It says, um, while he's holding on to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astonished, ran toward them in what is called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he addressed the people. Peter's a preacher. He's like, I got a crowd. Let's do this, right? So he preaches a sermon. He says, fellow Israelites, why are you amazed at this? Why do you stare at us as though we had made him walk by our own power or godliness? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our ancestors, has glorified his servant Jesus, whom you handed over and denied before Pilate, though he had decided to release him. So they say, hey, listen, it's not us. It's not our talent or our ability. It's Jesus. That's who healed this man. And then he goes like straight up flamethrower on him. Just get ready for this part. He says this. He says, uh, you denied the holy and righteous one and asked to have a murderer released to you. You killed the source of life whom God raised from the dead. And we are witnesses of this by faith in his name. His name has made this man strong, whom you see and know. So the faith that comes through Jesus has given him this perfect health in front of you all. They go, man, it's all through faith in Jesus. That's it. And they say, and now, brothers and sisters, I know that you acted in ignorance just as your leaders also did. In this way, God fulfilled what he had predicted through all the prophets that his Messiah would suffer Therefore, repent and turn back so that your sins may be wiped out, that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus, who has been appointed for you as the Messiah. 
These men preached this sermon. And I just want to tell you the, the, the simple fact is this. Often we miss the context of the early church because the gospel has become so familiar to us. But the gospel is by definition disruptive. And disruption is disorienting. Anytime you feel some sense of disruption, whether it's like, hey, your job might be changing, or hey, you're going to have a baby, or uh, the baby's coming now. Like anytime there's a disruption in your life, it's disorienting. You don't necessarily know what's next. You feel the fog of war. And disruption is disorienting to the people who hear the gospel message because they were going to the temple as religious observant Jews to worship Yahweh. They thought they had it figured out. They had their sacrifices with them. They thought that if they had the right things and knew the right people and were descended from the right ancestors, then they could be in a relationship with God. But Peter and John reveal something completely different. They say, listen, it's not good, observant people, religious people that go to heaven. It's forgiven people that do. And they take a blowtorch to everything that they thought about God. And they say, listen, it's Jesus, the one who was crucified a month and a half ago. That guy, he's the one who has the power to raise this man. And he's the Messiah. And everyone who heard him was disoriented. That's why they come running. They're like, hey, the the guy that we've been ignoring who's been standing by these steps on the way to the temple this whole time, that guy just got healed. What's going on? And here's the reality for you and I is that the gospel has come to us also. Here in Nolensville, Tennessee, this same gospel is deeply disruptive. Why? Because it compels us to live a different life than just everybody else around us. Our life is tied to the story that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he alone can save, that he alone is the one who can change you from being someone who is distant and far off from God to now becoming his child. That's what God does. And this disruption should be something that changes the way that we live our life. And every once in a while, God's going to bring things into your life that will disrupt you. And it's because he wants you to live the gospel out Not just simply as a good Christian boy or girl, but somebody who's a missionary to your community. God wants to use you in the same way that he used Peter and John to disrupt the people that you live among. To be an agent of disruption and to experience disruption in your own life. And when it happens, listen, the first thing that happens when you feel disruption is fear. You, you feel like, I don't know what God's going to do in the moment. And what we end up doing is we start wondering, is God even out there? Is he even real? But disruption is a moment that God can use to change your story and the story of the people around you. So when you start feeling disoriented, like what is God doing in this moment? Know that that's not a bad thing. It's probably one of the best things that could be happening. When you get a bad report about maybe cancer in your family or in your own life, or you, when you feel like, man, I don't know where our country is going, or you feel like, man, the economy is shifting once again, and I'm afraid for my job. Like All those moments of disruption are honestly God's work in your life to bring you into conformity to his son. Because here's the second thing I want you to see today is that disruption 
demands a decision. So not only is it disorienting, but it demands a decision. Am I going to press into what God is doing or not? And you see the Apostle Peter saying this in verse 19. Jump down there with me. It says this. It says, Therefore, repent and turn back so that your sins may be wiped out, that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus. Disruption demands a decision. Um, Often when we think about following Jesus, we think about our decision to follow him the first time. But every time that God calls me further into what it means to be his son, I have to make a decision to to repent, to to trust him, to repent, to turn, to to change. And the word repent is an interesting one because sometimes when we think about repentance, we think about groveling. Do you know what I mean by that? It's like sometimes we think, like, if I'm going to repent, I must, I must feel bad. We think about the emotion. And it's true. Sin does bring shame, pain, and destruction in our life. And when we feel conviction, often there's an emotion that comes with us where we go, I just don't want to do this anymore. Often there's tears, repentance. But I want you to think about how Jesus responds to people who repent. He does not Shame them. You know, repentance at its fundamental level is is agreeing with God. It's saying, I need to align myself with who God is. And I I was telling you guys, I'm a parent. I've got four kids. Man, parenting is constantly trying to help your kids not die. Like, that's literally like what we're trying to do. Often we're like, hey, don't touch that stove. It's not like because uh, we don't want them to enjoy the the pleasure of touching a hot stove, it's simply we know that we don't want to have to take them to the ER, right? We're constantly going, hey, don't do that. Don't do this. We're redirecting. We're, we're helping them out. And uh, the other day, I had to parent one of my children, and I was like, hey, don't do that anymore. I didn't even remember what it was, but I remember the response. My daughter looked up at me and said, I'm such a bad kid. I'm so bad. And as a good dad, I was like, you're right. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't say that. I wanted to say it. No, I didn't say it. I, I had something within me broke. I was like, shame is not what I'm looking for here. I don't want you to label yourself and your identity as being someone who is bad. That's not what I want for you. I want you to know that you are my beloved. God wants the same for for you, he knows how bad you've been. You don't, you don't need to identify yourself as that. What you need to do is say, my past needs to stay in the past. I will confess it, and I'm going to agree with God that he has more for me. And I'm going to walk in the fact that God has not labeled me sinner. He's called me saint. And he's called me his son or his daughter. And I'm going to walk in boldness and freedom because that's what Jesus wants. When Jesus said to the, to the man who was crippled that was brought to him, and the, the, the friends of the man ripped open the roof and they lowered him, he didn't say, well, you're a sinner. Repent. He said, no, son, your sins are forgiven. So I don't know what disruption is happening in your life. But God is calling you to align yourself with him. Often the greatest danger for the church is not people who are atheists out there. It's those who are atheists in here 
who say that they're Christians but don't live it out. We don't live like we're Christians. We go to church, we have the external trappings of it, but we're not saying, God, please disrupt my life so that I can do what you want, not what I want. Because here's the deal. Every time that there's a disruption, it's an invitation to join Jesus. It's an invitation to join. And every single person who heard the sermon that day had a choice. Look with me in Acts chapter 4, verse 1. It says this, While they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple police and the Sadducees confronted them. So the bad guys show up. Sadducees. The ruling leaders, the same ones who crucified Jesus. And because they were annoyed that they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So they seized them and took them into custody until the next day, since it was already evening. But many of those who heard the message believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. So you find two responses to Jesus being preached. The first is that many believed. Close to 2,000 people heard this sermon and were like, we're in, we're in, we're in. And may that be the posture of our heart, embracing disruption. They were going to church to worship God one way. They're like, okay, no, that's not the way. We're going to follow Jesus. But then there are others who show up, the Sadducees and the guards. And the word I want you to look at is the word annoyed. I did a little Greek study. The word annoyed means annoyed. It literally is like they were frustrated because These guys were disrupting what they already had in place. And I've been wrestling with this all week. You know why? Because I wonder what it would look like for me if God was to move around me. Would I go, yes, I'm in, or I'm too busy, and I'm annoyed by it? You see, I want revival to happen, but I want it to happen on my terms, my timetable. Revival that I've been praying for is that God would do that from 7 to 8 at night on Tuesday nights because that's when we do Kairos because that's convenient, right? God, come down at this one time in my schedule that I've blocked out and that would be enough. Um, I don't know if you've been following this, uh, this revival at Asbury. Show of hands, anybody? Okay, the rest of you guys are not on social media. I know who you are now. Um, the revival at Asbury has been an astounding moment. And people have like all kinds of think pieces and everything else. All I know is this, is that God doesn't work on people's timetables. Uh, I was invited to the National Collegiate uh, Day of Prayer at Asbury um, by a lady that goes to Brentwood. She made an appointment, said, I want you to pray about going to this. We're praying for revival. Leaders from around the country are coming come out to this thing. And I was like, okay, I don't have an official invite. I'm just kind of crashing the party. But sure, I'll pray about going, uh, which is kind of lame. I was like praying to go to a day of prayer. Like God's like, the answer is probably yes, but like go pray about it anyway. So we were praying about it. Here's the deal. That, that day of prayer was supposed to be last Thursday, praying for revival at Asbury. If you're following the news, the revival broke out like three weeks before because God doesn't work on our timetables. He disrupts things. And you found college students listened to a sermon. They they showed up at school. And this is why God works through the young, because the young are are like not too programmed. Their schedules are more open. College students always say they're busy, but they're not. We know, right? (laughs) Like, just wait till you get some kids, right? And a job. 
<clears throat> you can't use the Xbox anymore, right? You're not busy. But they, they showed up and they started, they started uh, praying after chapel. And the chapel speaker had no idea that God was going to do anything. In fact, uh, he texted his wife after preaching at chapel that day and said, wow, that was a stinker. Again, I'm coming home now, deeply discouraged. 40 students stayed afterwards. People started hearing that God was doing something at that uh, that, that meeting space, people started showing up from everywhere. Eventually, they, they worshiped day and night for over 10 days. People around the world were coming in to see what was happening at Asbury, praying that God would do something. And again, I asked myself the question, what would I do? Would I be too busy for that? We had a, a night in Nashville, actually, a week ago. On Thursday night, some of us pastors who work with young adults and college students said, hey, you know what we should do? We should do this here and start praying that God would do something. So we got together at Cross Point Church. I posted on socials. I talked about it at Kairos. I said, hey, we're going to go. We're going to go pray. And then <clears throat> as Thursday rolled around, I was like, man, I'm so busy. I don't know if I'm going to go. And I chickened out. I quietly told our worship leader, Cade, I said, I don't know if I want to go. Cade said, I don't either. We said, okay, cool. It's going to be funny when nobody sees us there, but, you know, we're busy. And as I started, like, getting my kids ready for bed that night, because we were meeting at the ungodly hour of 7 p.m. Like, who does that, right? Uh, we were planning and praying until midnight. I was like, man, I'm just too busy. Uh, I was getting my kids ready for bed. I was washing the dishes because that's what we do. Wash the dishes every night. Uh, it's like, otherwise it gets uh, just absolutely insane. You know what I'm talking about. So I'm washing the dishes. And our house is a fixer-upper because we accepted Chip and Joe into our hearts at one point. And so we were like working on the house as we go. And uh, <clears throat> our sink is kind of jerry-rigged. As I was like washing the dishes, all of a sudden I saw water seeping out underneath the cabinet doors, which was horrifying because I knew that it had come disconnected. So I had a flood to deal with. And I was like, I've got so much disruption in my life. And as I'm like mopping up the pieces of food and stuff that had come out of the garbage disposal, just really gross, really frustrated, I got a text message from Jackson DeRose, who many of you guys know, he serves here, he serves at Kairos. And he said, man, I'm going. And God's spirit was like, you don't have time for me. You're not willing to disrupt your life to even encounter my presence. And I told my wife, Tabitha, I said, I just need to go. And so me and Cade got in the car. We drove down. We prayed. And I've just been wrestling with that all week since. If God's spirit was to move, would I be available for him to speak? Not just on a big level, but on an everyday level. When God disrupts me, am I willing to be present? And the question I want to put in front of you is, are you also available for God's disruption? Would you be somebody who would embrace it? Right now, you know there's something that God is disrupting in your life, and God wants you to surrender it to him. It even could be your calendar. Like, I am so busy. Like, you're the Uber driver to your kid's best life. That's what you are. And you're so busy that God cannot even use you but God wants to use you. He wants to disrupt you because he wants to do something in you before he does something through you or for you. And so God wants to do that in your life. And right now, I want you to join me in this. If God is leading you, you probably already know what it is. If he's leading you to embrace disruption, I want you to write it down. Maybe it's saying like, hey, I will talk to that person that I'm sitting next to on the bleachers when we're watching our kids' sports. And we're just, I'm just always like, shh. But God wants me to slow down 
and talk to them about it. Jesus, have a gospel conversation. Maybe it's like, I'm going to actually take that person to coffee that God's been putting on my heart and putting before me. Maybe it's, I'm going to take more time to be home so that I can invest in my children. Maybe it's, even though I'm going through the darkest, deepest moment of anxiety I've ever had, like this is something God is doing. I don't know why, but I need to trust him in the middle of this. Whatever your disruption is, I want you to embrace it. Because when you do, you're going to encounter Jesus in a real, life-changing, meaningful way. Because God does his work through disruption. He always has.